tēnā koutou katoa, nau mai whakahoki mai ki te kite konai ipurangi nei, tū tāne, ko apa wātine tōku ingoa. Hello, welcome back to the Becoming Tāne podcast. My name is Apa Wātine. This is episode three of the Becoming Tāne podcast. This podcast is where we help grow great guys. I'm glad you could join me today. As I mentioned in the last episode, we have a website which is www.becomingtane.men. We also have an email which is info at becomingtane.men and we're on Facebook under a Becoming Tane. The title of today's podcast is called Be Brave and Be Kind. My guest today is Matt Tabram, but before we speak to our guest Matt, I would like to give you a short bio about him. Matt was born in Thames. Um, he has two amazing parents, I'm told. Uh, he spent his early uh, years in Paerua. Then at 16, he moved to Hamilton, uh, where he attended Fairfield College. He has studied at Waikato University. While at Waikato University, you were at Teachers College and you also completed uh, honours year. You are the middle child of five siblings. You've, you are a teacher, and you've been teaching since 2002, 2003. Did one year at Somerville Intermediate in Auckland. Did one year at Hastings and five years at Hedatonga. You did nine years in London at Clara Grant Primary, and then you've been at Forest Lake for the last three years. Matt has been with his husband now for just under three years, and they've been married for nearly two years. A mutual friend of ours describes you, Matt, in the following way. Matt is one of the most amazing people they know. Matt is a hard worker and one of the most hardworking teachers they have known. It's quite difficult because lots of teachers are hard worker. because then you're right up the top there. You're incredibly creative. You're a great musician. You're honest, you're caring, you have a sense of justice. And I think the most important one here, especially for a teacher, you have compassion for kids. So this is my guest today. And so welcome, man. I appreciate you being here. You know, what events in your life have made the greatest impact on you? Uh, I don't know that I would call them events. I was very blessed to have, as you alluded to, um, two very amazing parents. I was raised in the church, uh, evangelical Christian home, and I guess a lot of what my parents taught me and what I learned through uh, people at church was right and wrong, how people should be treated. So yeah, real, real blessed to have had that upbringing. I remember one coincidental event, you might call it. I had a teacher when I was in Form 2, so Year 8 and his name was Mr. Andrews, and we got him kind of by an accident. My actual Form 2 teacher had had a bit of whoopsie-daisy and hurt his leg and couldn't come into school for quite a while. So the deputy principal, Mr. Andrews, ended up taking over, over our class for the rest of the year, and he was an amazing teacher. I really, I took to him, I, I felt an affinity with him. He was very into poetry. He was quite uh, creative in his teaching style. He was a little bit OTT in his outbursts and his sense of humor and his in the way that he related to us so I guess he I felt a real rapport with him and it was at that age when I was 12 that I decided I wanted to be a teacher 
like Mr. Andrews. Yeah, that never left me. That stayed right through until obviously, you know, I was old enough to action that and then I went to university. I, the other key event that led me to where I am now in terms of my personal life would be my trip to London that afforded me time away from being known by everybody and um, allowed me to to grow and to make some own decisions and to reconcile two different aspects of my life which is my my faith in God and my sexuality a transition from dark into the light te nakoto Cordine Grace Tokuingwa Nongarohe Ongati Tufare Toa Tainui Waka Mengati Fatua. Recently, I had the wonderful opportunity to participate in the first inaugural Tane Matua retreat, also known as the Rising Sons of Tane, which was held within the Ngahereki Waitakere. This Wananga was led, hosted, and guided by Ngari no Tofirofiro Tewati, also known as Bees. Amongst the many things that we discussed, there were two things that really stood out for me. One was the takutaku, which is a type of karakia that forms a force field around you as you carry out certain mahi. And another was a ceremonial practice known as a puretane, where we went to the oceans at Piha and we immersed ourselves within hene moana, which is like a self-cleansing process. That experience alone, I will never forget what I felt that day. I encourage you to go and attend these types of wānanga. Whether you think you need it or not, I didn't think I needed it. I only went to support the kaupapa and yet I got so much more. I encourage you to attend it. The guys that were there with me, we formed a brotherly love and we have a, a term of endearment that we call each other from then on, known as Enga, which is the name of Tumatauenga, who shared his expression of love to his brother Tane Engama. So Norei Tato. Uh, the last words I'd like to leave with you from our retreat that day, which is an experience I will never, ever forget. It's probably one of my life's highlights, and I seriously mean that, and I've experienced so many wonderful things. And yet from this, my whole order, my well-being has been lifted to a whole level I never thought would be possible. So I'd like to leave you with this thought from our wānanga, and that is, love is you. Tenano tato. Kia ora. You know, you moved to London and yes. you said that there it gave you a release from being known to everyone. Explain mm. that for me. Because I was born and raised in the church and because I'm a musician, musicians get swallowed up by churches. Sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes it's it, it can have its pitfalls. But I rose through the ranks pretty quickly as one of the key members of the church band. And because of that, I became quite well known uh, within Hamilton and Greater Waikato area. I also was a pretty prominent figure at a lot of Christian camps, running children's camps and school holidays and Easter camps and all that kind of stuff. So I was known, I was recognised, and I was an active member of, of the church. I was an intern at my church, so did some Bible college papers with the aim of uh, growing into leadership roles or further leadership roles within the church. Again, all of which those opportunities, extremely grateful for, but because of those things, it flew in the face of my relationship with God and with organized religion within the confines of a church and my sexuality did not meet up 
there was a lot of disconnect there that caused a lot of pain, a lot of heartache. And I went through that on my own. Probably didn't need to go through that on my own, but I did go through that on my own uh, because I was too scared to talk to anybody about it. So going to London afforded me a sense of anonymity where I wasn't recognized and I could go and explore. And as I said, ultimately reconcile those two facets, which previously seemed unreconcilable. How have you merged those two worlds or have you merged those two worlds at all? Yep. My faith to me is very personal. So I'm no longer an active member of a church, but I'm not backward and coming forward in terms of my views about faith and belief. I'm not the biggest fan of organized religion because I wonder whether or not it's how Jesus would have done it. It's interesting that when you talk to a friend of mine, I guess the biggest thing that I take out of it is that sense of social justice, that sense of what is right and what is wrong and how people should be treated and how people shouldn't be treated. And one of the real key things in the Bible that on a really, really practical level we can take out of it is uh, when Jesus said, I was hungry, did you feed me? I was naked, did you clothe me? Basically, I was in need and did you do anything about it? I want to be that person. I want to be that person that does something when I see a need. That person who stands in the gap on behalf of people who can't stand in it for themselves. And it wasn't that long after that, I got the job at Hedatonga Intermediate and I met some pretty amazing people who were really, really heavily into the arts as well. I, I joined the staff at Hedatonga as a um, full curriculum classroom teacher. And then their music teacher retired or two years after I'd been classroom teacher. And then um, I got the music job and became head of department. And I was surrounded by all of these crazy, clever, artistic people. Nairi Shand, who was the music teacher that I took over with, she still kind of kept her hand in. Carol Dallabarca, an amazing artistic family. And... Jillian, uh, sorry, Jillian, I can't remember your last name, but incredible um, choreographer who all came on board and, you know, together we tackled these, these crazy, great big productions and, and saw the impact that they were having on the kids, the togetherness, the kutahitanga uh, that came out of being part of something that was bigger than them, that they needed to only be one link in the chain but together that chain was so strong and so unbreakable and actually it changed the culture of the whole school. And that was, I guess, where my journey as an arts educator really got kickstarted and validated as a way in which kids who previously may have been overlooked for some reason maybe they weren't the best academically maybe they weren't the most incredible sports people but they came into their own when they became a link in that chain when they became arts kids and um and we gave them a, a safe place and a community to be part of and for me that validated the rest of my career as an arts educator i just want to pick up on your friend how lucky you were to have a friend like that that was willing to help. I think anyone who has a friend is blessed. If you can truly call someone a friend, you can say that that person was truly a friend, then, then we are indeed truly blessed. No man is an island. And as much as we might like to think of ourselves as being pretty self-sufficient hunter-gatherer types, I couldn't 
uh, I wouldn't still be here if it weren't for him and for any number of just incredibly gracious, loving, giving people who I've had the good fortune to call friends and to have in my life. I, I took a year off teaching between Auckland and Hawke's Bay and toured with a Christian rock band called uh, Y1, organised through Youth for Christ. And he was in that band with me as well. So shared experience. And then I moved to Hawke's Bay, which is where he lived. Um, we ended up flatting together. And I think the the shared experience that we had, and it sounds really, really glamorous, but having been in a band that just toured around playing music, toured around New Zealand and got to go to Fiji and stuff like that. But it was hard. It was really, really hard work. And actually four of us team members came out the other end of that tunnel, having been diagnosed separately with uh, depression. You know, guys and girls. So it wasn't just the guys on the team who really... Uh, were under the pump and it probably wasn't even as a result of that but it would definitely was there was an extent to which there was burnout there was an extent to which there was living this life where we were on stage every night and then all of a sudden that was taken away from us when it all ended Um, and there was probably a degree of, of oh man thank goodness that's over like by the by the time it had finished and we just collapsed Um, But the nature of friendship with this particular person was, I think he just got sick of coming home and finding me a bit Eeyore, like Eeyore all the time. (laughs) Yeah. And and he was like, no, I can't deal with this anymore. So I'm I'm just not, I'm going to remove any choice that you have. I'm going to put you in my car. I'm going to take you to my doctor. And then I've done my part, you know, and it turned out to be the best thing that he could have ever done for me certainly the beginning of a healing journey for me now i also want to take another step back i mentioned in my introduction of you you have have some amazing parents yes now growing up in a christian church and then coming out to them that must have taken a whole lot of courage uh, on your behalf my parents and i think if you'd asked me this 10 years ago i would have paid them lip service but i wouldn't possibly have truly meant it my parents are incredible incredibly gracious people i was very naughty when i came out uh (laughs) mum i was in london and i joked you know i joked with uh with my friends in london who obviously you know they knew that i was gay and I was like, oh, you know, I'll come out to mum when she's, or mum and dad, when they're over here, like the day they're leaving, I'll put them on a plane and send them home, you know, and um, they can cry all the way home, but they're not my problem anymore once once I've told them. And that actually ended up being a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mum came over on her own because my older brother and his wife and myself were living in England. So she came over to spend some time with her boys. And um, yeah, I was living in Notting Hill at the time. And mum came to Notting Hill. We were walking through those infinite, uh, those infamous Notting Hill markets. And um, it was her last day in London. And that is where I came out to her. And I did end up putting her on a plane. And oh. she probably did cry all the way home. <laughs> but it just had to be done. It needed yeah. to be done. It had been left unsaid for too long. And since then, there's been lots of discussions about whether or not they knew 
whether or not it was something that they didn't even want to think about, whether or not it was something that flew in the face of their beliefs and their faith so much that it just like they didn't think it would be a reality for them. But yeah, as we've journeyed together, having been honest, um, and they've been honest with me about how they feel about it, and it's it's for them it's not that cool, and I understand that because they are devout believers, members of their local church, members of you know the Christian community. Dad does an amazing job as a um, as a chaplain up at Spring Hill Prison, which is very very cool. He just goes and hangs out with the inmates and takes Bible studies and stuff. And mum is just the most incredibly generous woman. So there've been lots of conversations since I've come home about how it sits with them and how I have went about reconciling my belief and my faith with my lifestyle in inverted commas, which is what they like to refer to it as. They have been the most incredibly generous, gracious, loving parents who have accepted it even though it very very obviously and very very firmly yanked the rug right out from underneath them what is peace or where do you find peace i find peace in uh, personal interactions with family and friends where there's no judgment they accept you for who you are I find peace within, by meditation, by breath work, by sitting with my thoughts. I find my peace at uh, Ketapihi Udupa, where my brother lays at rest. Peace to me is joy, and to be honest, I don't get any greater joy um, than helping others. I've found peace within at times, but when it gets chaotic, I have to go to nature, rivers, parks, or my whanau. I find peace when my thoughts, words, and actions align with my inner values that's success find peace from within um, and it, to me it's a state of mind it's a state of being i can be in places that give me the experience of peace but my head could be still mulling over things so for me peace is from within and it's a state of being i find peace wherever my family is so where do you find peace next question I want to ask you is about your superpower, Matt. So what is your superpower? You told me that you were going to ask me this. So you gave me plenty of time to think about it, but I just, I don't know. I guess the people who know me best, and I would tend to agree with them, would say that when I commit to something, I commit to it about 3000% more than is needed. So with my teaching role and with all of my teaching roles, and in fact, with, with most things that I do in life, I give everything I possibly can to them. And that's because I believed in them enough to invest in them in the first place. But I find that the more I give, and this isn't the reason that I do it, but the more I'm blessed with what I get out of it. So the more I give to my kids at school, the more happiness and joy and job satisfaction and excitedness I get back from them and it might not be might not even be their progress I mean their progress academically in terms of you know learning music 
let's be honest, as a parent reading school reports, is music the one you care about? No. So, you know, their progress may be slow and it may not be that key to that child, to any child's future. But I get very, very excited when I see kids start to develop within the arts because I know what it did for me. I know that, you know, like not everyone's going to go out and join a rock band and tour for a year. Not everyone's going to become a music teacher like I did. But I know that it stood me in really good stead um, in terms of discipline. And it stood me in good stead in terms of self-control. And it stood me in good stead in terms of uh, perseverance and keeping on, keeping on. And it doesn't matter how many times you play Claire de Lune wrong, eventually you'll get it right. You know, and that's an, those are important life skills. And so when I see kids develop that tenacity and they develop that perseverance, they develop that discipline and they develop that self-control through the medium of music, then I know that in actual fact, regardless of whether or not they are going to be a pianist for the rest of their life, they're going to have some skills that they can use for the rest of their lives. So I would say that my superpower would be giving everything that I've got because I know that in the end, it's going to be worth it. I want to share with you what Ants sent through to me for your superpower. Oh dear, this is terrifying. Uh, you might be pleasantly surprised. Might be. Well, no, because uh, he said your number one superpower is that you're creative. And our mutual friend also said that. So there's some truth in there. And then... He said that you're one of the most caring people that he knows. Our mutual friend said exactly the same thing. And the very last thing is that you're patient. So just reflecting on your young self, if you could go back and talk to your young self, what would you say to yourself? Uh, Don't underestimate how much other people love you because the things that you think might change that completely won't. So be brave with the choices that you make, be clever in the choices that you make, but don't underestimate the love of the people that you surround yourself with. Who did you underestimate their love? Um, Mum and dad. Yep. Massively. And probably my entire family. Um, less my little brother and sister. Um, and I don't know why that is. There's, there's nine years between me and my little brother and 12 years between me and my little sister. So I was the youngest for nine years. So I don't think I underestimated them, but certainly uh, my older brother and sister and my mum and dad and I'd already ha- always had a really close relationship with particularly my little sister. I felt more confident in them being cool. And it wasn't because they mattered any less, but I just, I felt more confidence in their response being positive. I felt less confident in the response from particularly mum and dad being even a fraction of what it was. I, I honestly, like I feared the worst case scenario with mum and dad, uh, which was being cut out. And I, that was a massive, massive underestimation 
of the extent of their love for me. Another huge disservice to them and the extent of their grace. So because I feared, I feared the absolute worst, like anything was going to be better than that, but I couldn't have imagined how much better than that the reality was. The, the reality is so much, so far removed from that. And that's why I'd say don't underestimate the extent of the love of the people who are around you for you, regardless of what decisions you make or, or where it is that you go in your life or who you find out that you are. Be confident, be brave, be clever, but have faith in other people. Traditionally, barbershops have been more than just a place for a haircut. Barbershops are safe spaces for men where they can socialise and talk. In Hamilton, Reggie's Barbershops, one of those barbershops, and that has been operating since 2005. At Reggie's Barbershop, you not only get a quality cut, but you get a great environment, great barbers, great conversation, and you're made to feel more than just a number. You don't have to believe what I say. Here is some of the feedback that Reggie gets. Always a cool vibe at Reggie's. Nice and chill. Few laughs. Great atmosphere. Love the way they cut my hair and trim my beard. They really listen to what you want and always keen for yarns. Awesome atmosphere created by awesome people. You guys are amazing. Amazing haircuts and great uplifting kōrero. To make it. Love the vibe. Toddler loves the stylish cuts. And Mumsy loves those competitive prices. This really is the best barbers ever. Reggie is so friendly and does exactly what you're asking for. He did an amazing job with my hubby's hair. Reggie's is always buzzing. Such a great atmosphere and a great asset to Frankton. Sometimes the queues are out the door. During summer, the music is always pumping. My son loves getting his haircut there. Awesome atmosphere. My husband got his haircut and beard trimmed, and the barber took his time to talk and gave a very nice personalised service. Would highly recommend. I get my haircut at Reggie's every month, and I also take my three sons there. The people are friendly and give a great cut, and it's always a good price. In my experience, Reggie's is the best barber shop in H-Town. So if you want a great cut, great company, great conversation, visit Reggie's Barber Shop. Shop 1, 40 Lake Road, Frankton, Hamilton, or call 07-847-5275. Okay, Matt, so what has life taught you so far? It's okay to ask for help. Um, you are not the only one walking this planet. You are not the only one going through whatever it is that you're going through. It is okay to ask for help. Men particularly. Cool. Don't be afraid of being a burden on other people because I think that that's what it stems from. It stems from admitting weakness and it stems from being, being afraid of being a burden. You very, very, very quickly learn who your true friends are when you're prepared to ask for help. So what advice would you give to somebody who may be struggling with coming out? I think I've touched on, on not underestimating the people around you. So if it's fear that is making you struggle with your truth, then be brave. If it is worried about 
what a gay person looks like or, or being worried about what a gay person sounds like or worried about what a gay person does for a job, then, then you don't need to worry about those things because everyone's unique and there's a place for everyone in society. There's, there's contributions that can be made by all people, all ethnicities, all sexualities, all political affiliations, or, you know, like there is someone somewhere for everyone within society. If your struggle is like me, reconciling, I guess, a belief system against what you know to be your truth, then be smart about it. Look into it. Learn about it. Listen to people who have been through it. There's plenty of books out there by some amazing uh, Christian and secular authors. So do some research. If being a man is about having a thirst and a hunger for learning, there's a perfect opportunity for you there to, you know, to really get your teeth into some research and look at history. It's fascinating. And the way that different civilizations throughout the existence of the earth have dealt with and have adopted homosexuality into their everyday life. We live in a very, very blessed time. So I would imagine fewer people struggle now with their sexuality than did previously. But if that is you, uh, I guess the most important lesson that I learned was that there's freedom in living your truth and there's freedom in honesty and actually there's safety in honesty. Uh, I alluded to some pretty unsafe decisions when I was being dishonest about who I was, but now that I am honest about who I am, there's safety in that and there's freedom in that. If there was one key message that we could take away with us, what would that one key message be? Be kind. Be kind to yourself because you are no good to anyone else if you're running on empty. But most importantly, be kind to other people. Like we all suffer from the human condition. We're all dickheads every now and then. But a little kindness goes a long, long way. And you never know if the person that you're being kind to on a particular day is in particular need of your particular brand of kindness. Okay, so the question that I want to ask is, the title of the podcast is called Becoming Tani. What does it mean to become a man? To become a man means so many things to so many different men. It's cultural, it's spiritual, it's uh, physical and physiological, uh, it's psychological. And so to give a definition from me about what it means to be a man, I guess it depends too much on surroundings and circumstances and upbringing and nature. But I can definitively tell you what it means to not be a man. It does not mean that you have got it all together. It does not mean that you have all the answers. It does not mean that you look a certain way or sound a certain way or dress a certain way. I think being a true man is loving fiercely, protecting tenaciously, defending what is right, and sticking to what you know to be the truth. It has nothing to do with the size of your muscles. It has nothing to do with the size of the exhaust on your car or the car that you drive. It has a lot to do with the way that you love 
the way that you trust, the way that you protect, and being prepared to be kind to people. Finally, I want to remind you that becoming Tani is about growing great guys. So listeners, if we can keep growing to be the best we possibly can be. Modi order. Thank you.